Today's daughter of change, Kina Rampersad of Trinidad and Tobago, is empowering minds through literacy, advocacy, and practical instruction. Kina is a dyslexia practitioner and the founder of the literacy organization, A World of Books, an online learning and support platform driven by the mandate to give the gift of reading through researched and evidence-based instructions. She is deeply passionate about helping struggling readers achieve their highest potential. Kina believes that every student has the potential to succeed once they are taught the way they learn, and that begins with knowing and exploring the world of literacy. To learn more about A World of Books and Kina, check out her Facebook page at A World of Books. That's A World of B-K-S. Welcome to the Daughters of Change podcast. My name is Marie Sola, and I'm a firm believer that women and girls play a major role in creating change for our future. This podcast tells the stories of the women and girls who are creating that change, each in their own unique way. Every day is an opportunity to blaze new trails and set positive change in motion. The possibilities are endless. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another Daughters of Change podcast. And I'm really excited today because I have a very special guest and this is the first time that she has told her story um, and talked about her work publicly. And I'm really honored that she chose the Daughters of Change platform to do this. So I want to give a big welcome to Kina Rompersad. And thank you again, Kina, for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. So I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, you have such, you were doing such fascinating work and such important work. So um, I think a lot of people are really going to enjoy hearing about what you're doing. And one of the things, if you've looked at the title of the podcast, which is Empowering Minds Through Literacy, this question that I'm going to ask Kina will make sense. So Kina, I want to ask you, what fictional character do you wish that you could bring to life? Oh, that's a really funny question. Strange enough, sadly, I'm not a fictional character person. So thinking about all the books that I've read, I mean, they can't see, but I'm in my study and there's a whole slew of books behind me. Um, But I, I like more like biographies and real stories, real things. But thinking about fictional characters, there's actually one fictional character that I think my love for reading started with that character, and that is a horse, <laughs> Black Beauty. <laughs> oh, yeah, I loved that book. Yeah, I loved that book. And that book was the book that started my obsession with reading. My mom got me it when I was probably seven because she got the um, children's the ladybug illustration to it. So it's like the children's version. And strange enough, I still have that book today. And that book got me so obsessed with horses. I wanted a horse. I had to go. My mom had to take me to do horseback riding. (laughs) (laughs) And 
I always told us like if ever I have a horse, it has to be that black horse without white stars. Like it just has to be Black Beauty. I love that. That's a great answer. And you know, I read that book too, and I loved it. And I was obsessed with horses and also had to take horseback riding. So I get that. I get that. So I love that you, again, I love that you chose Black Beauty as a book that uh, made such an impression on you because it is those books that we read when we're young and the importance of having reading in your life when you're young that can open you up to a whole new world of things, right? And so what do books mean to you? And what does reading mean to you? For me, reading is an adventure. It takes you on a journey that probably you'll never experience in your life for whatever reason, but you're able to explore history, the world, places, through the pages. And not only explore them through what the writer has written, but you're able to create your own imagery of what is written. So you may be reading a story about Egypt and the pyramids, but you know what the pyramids looked like, but you are now able to amplify that view in your mind. So it gives you that immersion into a world that you created based on your information. And I think that's a wonderful escape, especially when you're dealing with the world as it is. And Mm -hmm. you have that opportunity to just for however long to just escape the reality and be immersed in this peaceful, calming, whatever environment it might be. So for me, reading is an escape. It's magical. And it's something that just gives you a whole new world to see. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I liked what you said about the fact that you tend to read a lot of nonfiction. So you're also reading about the people that came before you or people that have made a mark in the world and and learning so much from that, right? And learning about history and- yes. And yeah, I I love that. And why do you feel that reading is so important? I mean, you've, you've touched upon that a little bit in your last answer, but why do you feel that it's so important that we bring reading to kids and to the world? So for me, reading is not just an escape, but it's life. Everything we do surrounds reading at some level. And my practice says it's giving the gift of reading because it really is a gift. You're giving someone the ability to function in the world. And for me, if you're unable to read, you just are not able to be the best you can be in society. You're limited at all levels. And that's why I think it's definitely important that children and parents in particular see that reading is something we need to pay attention to. It's not just something that well, if he doesn't read, it's okay. You know, the technology will, you don't need it. No, you need reading to understand the technology. So reading is essential. The same way we breathe, <laughs> reading is essential to life. And we're we're going to delve into uh, a world of books, which is your platform and your company, and it's amazing. But before we do that, I want people to understand a little bit about who you are and like why you came to this. So what did you do for work prior to starting a world of books? So my life prior to world of books is sort of like twofold. I spent seven years in communications. I actually, my educational background is in mass communication. So I worked in corporate communications for about seven years. And then in 2018, 
I got tired. I got tired of the corporate world and I'm like, you know what, I need something more meaningful. And I decided to switch to teaching. So I became a teacher in 2018 and I've been teaching infants, which would be like preschool or kindergarten um, since then. So I'm a classroom teacher as well. And in 2019, unfortunately, that was a terrible year for me. I had mental health struggle. And that's when I had to step back and stop. So prior to a world of books, it was a bit of corporate communications and teaching. And then we just stopped <laughs> for a bit. And then the whole world stopped. Yes. And then uh, strange enough, the world stopped just in time while I stopped, the world stopped as well. It was it was in tandem. It's funny about serendipity, though, isn't it, Kina? The way that things work. I mean, when you look back on them at the time, sometimes, you know, when you're going through it, it's so overwhelming. You can't see the forest for the trees. Right. But when you when you have enough distance and you can step and look back, you go, wow, I can't believe like how that all kind of coincided and brought me to where I am today. Right. And I think that's what COVID did for me in the sense that while the world stopped, I was kind of like, again, 2019 was down and then I came out 2020 thinking okay yes this is going to be the revival year and then no the world decided that's not the plan and I was like well probably I'm not ready (laughs) (laughs) yeah well it gave you time though right in its own weird way it gave us all a lot of time Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people took that time to reevaluate about, exactly. And that's exactly yeah. what it gave me time to do. It took mm-hmm. me, it gave me time to reevaluate myself and what exactly I wanted to do with my life, which is where a world of books came. So the world shut down. I was out of a job. I mean, everybody was basically out of a job. Um, yeah. And I had to figure out, well, what's next? I have to do something. And toying around with the idea of it was like about June. I was like, you know what, children are going into vacation time and we can't go anywhere. We can't do anything. And the idea of, because of how I view reading as an adventure and a journey, the idea of actually bringing that to life for kids was like, yeah, I think I'm going to do that. And the pilot project was basically to give kids a vacation around the world through books. And we explored um, several places. We did Latin America, the Middle East, we did Egypt and stuff like that. France and Europe and America as well. And they were able to, we mixed, for me, it was mixing things that I loved. I love to create stuff. I love crafts and I love reading. So the pilot was basically exploring the world through books while creating crafts associated to the country that we went to. And it was just enjoyable. For me, I had fun creating the program. The kids had fun. And it was for the first time that, you know, you. I worked into communications. I worked as a teacher. But it was the first time I was doing something that didn't feel like work. It was feeling like I'm having fun. I like what I'm doing. This is great. <laughs> and that's where a world of books started, basically. And so for people um, that don't know, you're based in Trinidad and Tobago. 
Yes. But you did this online. So kids I could come from wherever. I mean, obviously, maybe when you started, there were maybe closer home people that knew you. But that the beautiful thing about this platform is that everything's online. So you can bring people in. And we're going to get into all of the – I mean, it's grown from that pilot program to be much <laughs> more. But the, the beautiful thing is you can bring this also to people and their kids all around the world, which is beautiful. Yes. It was, and actually I did have individuals from Miami call in a message and try to contact us and be like, this is, how can I get involved and whatnot? And they were Caribbean people living in the States and they were like, you know what, this is so great. Could you do things like to teach? They have kids that are from Caribbean parents, but they don't have the Caribbean life. So like, how can we merge this to give them that immersion but from a caribbean's perspective so they get their culture and again it just a world of books is something that grows on its own i don't intentionally try to do anything with it we have conversations and things happen (laughs) and we just keep going but it made me realize that there is a need for reading related activities not just go read a book or sit and read for a couple of minutes. No, we need to have engaging activities to have kids interested in reading and see reading from a different perspective. So it can, it is something that I would love for it to go global as well. But there are, again, conversations have been happening and because it's online, it's accessible throughout. For everybody, yeah. And, you know, you said something important there about the conversations that kids have after they read something, the engagement, because it's such a great way for parents to connect with their children, to find out where their thoughts are at, especially in a very complicated world now. It it just seems to me, I mean, you know, my kids are grown, but I have grandkids. So being able to have these conversations with your kids, it, it opens the door, you know, to make sure that you're helping to teach them some things as well, right? That they're not just going out and getting stuff online and forming opinions, you know? And and I really appreciate that you said that about the engagement. And so in a minute, I want to go back and talk about what World of Books is today, like what it's grown into. But just in keeping with the theme of that initial pilot program, talk about the success of that. Like, what happened and what did you go? Oh, wow. Like, I didn't expect that, right? There were some aha moments indeed. Um, for me, one of the major aha moments was when a couple months after the pilot program, a parent called me. Uh, she sent a voice note and it was her child who, was up t- who had attended the um, pilot. And he was so excited. He wanted to know when next it's happening. And not only did he want to know when next, he gave me ideas. He want to go here. He wants to go there. And he basically was like, I want more. And for me, that was like, yep, that's it. The minute a child wants more of something, you know, okay, you've done it. (laughs) And that was the moment that I was like, okay, regardless of it was seven kids, Some people may think, well, it's just seven kids, but no, it was seven kids that were engaged and they were excited and they wanted more. And so right now today, because I know that, you know, as we've talked about, a world of books just keeps growing and will continue to grow and and morph. But as you sit today, 
How would you describe what a world of books is? So right now, a world of books has moved from its first pilot program, where it was just an adventure, to now being a hub of information. So I this, I consider myself very a love of academia. So I'm very research based, and through the pilot, I realize a lot of gaps existed in society. Um, we do have a reading challenge, although we have a high literacy rate, but we do have a reading challenge. And that led me to realize that I can't just have kids enjoying reading. They need to also be able to read. So A World of Books has transformed to a educational hub where we are also tutoring students to read. So right now it is for both struggling readers and dyslexic readers. So I'm also a trained dyslexia practitioner. So I, my focus, my background training in that is what builds a world of books. Dyslexia is something that it's known worldwide, but in my country's perspective, it's not on the head of the agenda. It's not at the top. And we have a lot of children, unfortunately, that have this disability, this learning disability, and they are, it's unknown. It's unknown to the teachers, it's unknown to the parents, it's even unknown to the child. All they know is that they're struggling. And because of that, a world of books has transformed into being a force, a form of a advocacy, where we are trying to educate the public on what is dyslexia to begin with. So we are tutoring our students who have dyslexia or maybe struggling in reading. We are hosting webinars, information sessions to educate the public. What is dyslexia? What are the reading challenges that exist? And actually, we're even trying to engage with teachers to be aware of how we teach these children with these reading disabilities. Yeah, because... Kids with dyslexia can learn how to read, right? They just learn. It's just how are you teaching to a mainstream class that might have a lot of children in it so that it works for all the kids in the class? Yes. Right. And so on that note of um, the fact that you are a dyslexia practitioner or is that you help, you know, within that. And did I say that right? A dyslexia practitioner? Dyslexia practitioner, yes. Um, mm-hmm. You So- As you were moving forward after your pilot program in October of 2020, you decided you wanted to do something for National Dyslexia Month. And and this helped, I think, maybe to what ended up growing on your platform. So what did you do and what happened as a result? So in 2020, October, I hosted my second but first virtual information session on dyslexia. My first session was in person and that was in 2019, uh, the beginning of 2019. And because we were online, I said, you know what, I'm going to do it online. And that opened the door even further for the need for teachers and parents to know dyslexia existed. What happened in that program, that webinar, was that many people that registered were teachers, they were parents, and they had no idea that dyslexia was a thing to begin with. And they've been struggling with students in their care for ages, 
trying to figure out why is my kid not reading? Why I'm doing this, I did this. And they couldn't figure it out. So for a lot of teachers, a lot of people at that webinar were like, thank you. I now know what's the problem. And I now know how to get help. And that actually led to the growth of the tutoring, my tutoring service, because I got a lot of calls. Parents want help. And again, it just, I will have books expanded once again. Yeah. Well, it must have been such a sigh of relief for parents to know that there was somebody that could help their child, because I imagine that it's easy for these kids to fall through the cracks or get labeled, right? Get labeled as maybe not as intelligent or what have you, when it has absolutely nothing to do with that. It's just that the challenge in the way they see the letters or their brain reads, right? So what do you feel the biggest challenges for teachers right now, uh, teaching reading, say, to large classes where things are mainstreamed and they might not have, you know, a dyslexia practitioner working with them? So the challenge for most of our teachers right now is that they're not trained with dyslexia. So they don't know what to look for. They don't know what it is. And on top of that, you have a class of, say, 30 students to teach reading the way that it's taught right now it's kind of like by memory you should have a word you memorize the word and that has been the way reading has been taught for a while that's how i learned to read that's how many people learn to read the memory you you just committed to memory so a dyslexic brain can't deal with that they're going to remember certain words but eventually they're going to get information overload so it's not it's going to stop at some point so some point in time because dyslexia is neurobiological in origin, meaning that everybody's brain is not equipped to read to begin with, right? We are born, our brain is not built to read. We have to train, just like our muscles, we have to train our brain to read. The dyslexic brain, although it's being trained, just like everybody else's brain to read, is not being trained significantly. So there are still parts that are not developed. There are still parts that... It's not just, it's not there, right? So you have to actually like wake up those parts and that's done through structured literacy. It's a structured program because you have to build on the information being taught and it has to be taught. It's basically like teaching a code. You're teaching them how to break up words, how to sound out words, as opposed to just memorizing a whole word. Doing that in a classroom with 30 students is hard because you have to meet everybody at their level. Some, again, because reading seems natural, you're gonna have those that are fine with it. And then they're gonna be bored when you're teaching them the alphabet, basically. You're like, I got this already, <laughs> right? So teachers need, for me, it's a whole overhaul that needs to happen. In the ideal world, <laughs> an entire overhaul needs to happen. But for now, if teachers are trained in terms of the training that is required for a teacher to become a teacher, includes teaching of dyslexic, we will have a better chance. So should be able to use these skills in a general perspective and incorporate it in the classroom so everybody gets covered. But unfortunately right now, that's not what's happening. So they are unaware of dyslexia and they're struggling with what they have to deal with. 
And so have you hosted other virtual workshops since uh, 2020? And have you had like the same interest from teachers? I know you're reaching out to them online too, but do you have some planned in the future for people listening as well? So I do have, I've had two since. We've had great um, responses. I've even reached out to schools where I go into schools and host um, information sessions and mini training sessions with the school. And what happens too is that I direct them to the Dyslexic Association of Trinidad and Tobago, which is the hub for training teachers to be dyslexic practitioners like myself. That's who I did my training with. So I come out, I tell you about it, and then I tell you, contact the association. They will help you get trained, et cetera. Um, I do have one carded for the end of the year, and we're going to look at what is actually structured literacy because that's the basically the code in which we teach literacy to teachers, um, to our students, how they learn to read. And the idea with that is that if teachers know this is the structure and the way in which reading is supposed to be taught, then they could implement that for themselves bit by bit in certain ways into their classroom. So the hope is that if they know what it is, they'll be able to adjust accordingly. And that way, you know, our students have a, a, a better chance. And so um, it, for people that are interested, and we'll make sure we talk about this more at the end, but people could get onto your website and contact you because if somebody, you know, if somebody's interested in one of your workshops or working with you or ha- has a child that they want you to tutor, they don't have to be in Trinidad or Tobago, right? They could be literally anywhere. Okay. So um, we're going to make sure uh, that all of the information to find Kina is in the show notes, uh, but you can also, we'll make sure there's a link to all of her online information as well. So you can see what might be coming up. Um, And I know you mentioned that there's a dyslexia association in Trinidad and Tobago. Are there other, not that you have to know everyone, but are there likely others in other parts of the world, other parts? Yes, actually, um, there's the Dyslexic Association, basically. So there's International Dyslexic Association, which is based in the U.S. There's the British Association as well. But dyslexia, there's a hub in practically every aspect of the world. <laughs> um, you just have to actually. There's a nice. There's a, actually there's a really nice graphic that I think I would share with you to add as a, a link to the show notes that okay. basically have sure. a map of the world and where you can find. Uh, help. Perfect. I love that. So yeah. we'll we'll have that graphic in the show notes. I'll get that from Keen, and I just mm-hmm. I just made a note for the show notes. Yeah. So we'll make sure that's in there as well. <laughs> and so, Keena, what are some of the challenges that children with dyslexia and their parents face in terms of mainstream schooling? Oh, um, a lot. So one of the myths of dyslexia is that one, they are not intelligent. They are incapable of learning. And that is so not true. Dyslexic individuals are very intelligent. Um, They are gifted in certain ways as well, the way in which they see things. So not just see things from, they see things from a different perspective. The world has been blessed with a lot of talent from dyslexics. We have actors that are dyslexics. We have entertainers that are dyslexics, business people that are dyslexic. Geniuses, Einstein was a dyslexic. 
So I didn't know that. That's how he came <laughs> yes, up with all I... that fabulous math, those mathematical <laughs> exactly. formulas, right? Because his brain could put things together differently. Yeah. So dyslexics are brilliant. The challenge they have is that they are left in this structured kind of restricted system that's not teaching them the way they learn. So their struggle is that I want to learn, I could learn, I'm just not being taught how I learn. And parents struggle with that because they know their child could learn. They know their child is capable of stuff, but the school system is just not providing the avenues and the way in which I need my child to learn. So you have a situation where you want the best for your child, but you're trapped within the system. And in some countries, like for example, in America, where dyslexia is actually seen as a thing, a real thing, they put a lot of emphasis and resources to it. I mean, there are some states in, in, in America where dyslexic screening is part of the education system. It's mandatory. There are laws being passed in certain states that, you know, teachers are supposed to be trained, the school is supposed to recognize these things. So they have access to the resources they need. However, in a Trinidad and Tobago's perspective, and probably for most of the third world perspective, that's not important. It's not seen as a thing. So you have students who are just left to fall through the cracks because they're not able to get the training or the teaching the way they learn. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a parent of a child that's having a hard time learning to read, are there certain signs or things that might prompt you to realize that your child is dyslexic or is it sort of uh, every case is different or, or are there certain things you could look for? So dyslexia does exist like on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. because no two dyslexics are the same. The major thing is that it's genetic. So if you had problems as a child reading and you were probably not diagnosed and you probably do have dyslexia, your child may definitely have dyslexia. So it is, again, it's neurobiological in origin, meaning it affects, the, it's the way the brain is made up and it's genetic. In terms of signs, what we look for as markers, basically, is whether a child at age seven is still having problems with rhyming. They're still having problems with letter recognition in terms of letter and sound recognition that matching. Whether they have... Now, the BD reversal is not actually a sign for dyslexia. However, it's a sign to say, okay, probably something is wrong. So a child may confuse B and D up until they're seven or nine, because that's just natural. I mean, they look the same, Yeah, you know, just the direction. It's like left, right. So that's yeah. not really something to say, oh, he's getting confusions with his B and D, he's dyslexic. No, it's just something that if after seven or nine, when you're supposed to have this kind of concrete by now, then okay, maybe we could think something is a bit, something's happening. They tend to read without understanding. So you may have a child that is reading, the cat is on the mat, but they're reading not fluently, they're stuck at the. When you ask them what this sentence said, they're unable to explain it to you. So 
Where was the cat? No answer. Who was on the mat? No answer. Um, because they just read the words. They have no association to what they'd read. So they read in a very monotone. There's no meaning. And they can be very confused with instructions. So if you tell a child, go to your bag, take out the book, turn to page five, you probably lost them and go to their bag. So they're, they're the ones that are not very quick in class. So when you see these things, you tend to now start to create a log, basically. These are the things that are looking questionable. Maybe I need to check into something and get an assessment done, which is a very important aspect of the whole being diagnosed with dyslexia. So I'm a dyslexic, a dyslexia practitioner. I could screen your child to see whether or not he has the markers of dyslexia, uh, the characteristics of dyslexia. I cannot say he has dyslexia. That is done through a psychoeducational assessment, which is performed by a medical practitioner or a psychologist. And that screens behavioral, cognitive, like a whole range of um, issues to make sure that it's not just an underlying issue that he's dealing with. Because dyslexia could be, you may have autism and develop dyslexia because of certain issues with that disability. You may be ADHD and have characteristics of dyslexia, but you don't have dyslexia. So to actually say somebody's dyslexic, um, you need a psychoeducational assessment. And some of these uh, these resources that will be on the link, people can go there to find out where to get this done, yes. if, depending on where they live. Where they are. But yes. they could reach out to you to talk to you to start getting sort of the process Direct. done. And yes. also just to understand, because you know when you're dealing with your child and you've got everything else going on, I imagine that just the emotion around it to have somebody in your corner that yes. can help to walk you through it. No, and that's a really important thing because I spoke to parents just last week, actually, and they've been struggling trying to figure out what is going on. And all I explained to the parent was what was dyslexia and the resources they can access in terms of where you can get your child screen and what happens after. So, okay, you he's diagnosed, you need to now find somebody like me to give him lessons. And she felt so relieved, like just knowing alone was enough to just say, oh, thank you. I've been holding my breath for so long thinking I did something wrong or, you know, it, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to and I'm not getting the help. But now that I just know, it's like, oh, I could breathe. I, my child has hope. I could work with something. I have a plan. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. It's just, it's such, a, it's so important what you're doing. I mean, I, I just have to say that again and it's, yeah. Oh. And I'm not going to ask you what, you know, a world of books is going to be five years from now, because that's a ridiculous question, right? How, who knows? Right. Because it's just growing and growing, but in the, the next, like for 2024, are there some things happening that you'd like to talk about, you know, to let people know some of the things that are coming up for the next calendar year or the next couple of months that are important to let people know about? Yes. So, um, one of the things that a world of books is also working on is, trying to give teachers like a go-to guide. I can't promise every teacher should, I, I advocate every teacher should be trained, but 
again, that's an ideal situation. Everybody has their restrictions. But I'm in the process of creating like a workbook, which is like going to be available. I'm hoping probably by February next year. Um, that's coming right up. To, that is, that in itself keeps growing <laughs> because every time I think I'm done, I realize, okay, you know what? Teachers need to do this as well. And I have to go back and edit it yeah. again. And it's turning into probably, you know what? You should just have volumes, <laughs> volume one, volume two, and probably working there. But it's kind of like a go-to guide where if you have a child that is struggling with reading, they could access this book and follow the guidelines and hopefully, you know, get your child to some form of reading level that is better than where they were. So any teacher, any classroom, even a parent, here's this book you have struggling with readers. This is where we start. We start with all letter sounds. We move on to this. And it's formatted in a way where it's kind of like you have me with you because I'm trying to make it as instructional and as basic as possible so that you have the guide, the guidelines that you can follow. So that's one of the big projects we're working on right now. It's a book book that I'm hoping could be completed by February um, so that, you know, we could, because I can't teach everybody and there are just so many students that I can't help. <laughs> Come <right>? on, Kina. <laughs> you can't teach every dyslexic child I in the world. <laughs> and it's like, you know, but from a local perspective in Trinidad, although we have Dyslexic Association and we have, they have been training teachers, it's still not enough. So there, there's still a gap that needs to be filled. And I'm thinking, you know what, this could at least subsidize for some of the gaps that exist, even the cost of training as well in terms of some people just can't afford a tutor. Right. So, right. And right. you can't just tutor. I mean, tutoring is takes a lot. We would love to help everybody, but we still have to, you know, live. And th there's a struggle on both ends. So if this is an option that could help, let's make it an option. Yeah, I, I think that's a fantastic. It's such a fantastic resource, you know, and it will grow. But that's okay because the information, you know, it's great to have the information and then to build upon the information. And oh, yeah, I just so impressive, so impressive. And so I want to ask you, like, there's so much here. There's so much you're working on. Um, but if there were two things that you could leave the listeners with today, like two things you really want to make sure they understand about dyslexia and about all of this, what would those two things be? So I'll leave them with three things, sorry. Three is good. One is for the parents. Parents, it is not your fault. You did what you had to do. Moms, it's not your fault. I have mothers that feel that it's their fault. They didn't do something, they are their, their child's first teacher and they feel like they've failed in a way, it's not your fault. So moms, it's not your fault. You've done your best. You did your best. You are still doing your best. And your child was just born with a very special brain. And they didn't come with a manual. So you did your best to try and figure out what it is and how to work with it. To our teachers, I know you're tired. <laughs> I know you're frustrated. I know you're underappreciated. But a teacher that is trained with dyslexia cannot just help their 
the dyslexic in their class, they could help their entire class. So I advocate for all teachers to at least know what is dyslexia. If you can get trained in dyslexia tutoring, please do, but at least know what is dyslexia. To my dyslexics who may feel that the world is against you and nobody's hearing you and you have been silenced, you are seen. Um, we are on, we are sorry, we are learning slowly. <laughs> we are learning to deal with you and how to teach you how you learn, but you are special. You are incredibly intelligent and you are going to make the difference the world needs and just keep being the superhero that you are. How can people connect with you and a world of books? So you can find me on social media, Facebook, a world of books, but books is BKS. So it's a world of BKS. Um, that's on Facebook. Because you have such wise words, I'm not going to ask you what wise words you have for other daughters of change. Oh, I have one in particular. And preparing for today, I was like, you know what? I, I listened to your podcast and I know this is one of the things you ask. I'm like, I'm going to actually be particular with this. So one of my favorite person, because I, I read biographies, one of my favorite people, um, may she continue to rest in peace, is Benazir Bhutto. And she has this quote, each journey begins with one small step. Never hesitate to take that step if in your conscience you believe it to be right. It takes courage to do what is right. So all our daughters of change, you may be thinking, you may not know what you're doing. Trust me, I don't know sometimes. But one step in the right direction is going to make a drastic change in the world. And finally, my last quote comes from myself. Um, no matter how small your light may be, one beacon of light in a storm can make a very, very big difference. So my dear daughters of change, fellow daughters of change, be that light, no matter how small you think it is. It's going to change the world.